0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Times of Israel's daily briefing. Today is Sunday, November 20th. Amanda Borchel Dan here with our military correspondent Emmanuel Fabian and news editor Amy Spiro. Hello to you both. Good morning. Hi, Amanda. Good to see you. We have so much to cover. We'll talk about how a weekly Torah portion sparks violence and a cold case from the first Lebanon war that was reopened. We'll also hear about the troubling legacy of singer Zohar Argov and a first Jewish star for reality TV's Love is Blind. But first, a short break.
1: Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachek's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachuk Law Team strongly supports Israel.
0: And we're back. Yesterday, Orthodox synagogues around the world read the Torah portion, Chayez Sarah. Manny, tell us how this portion can pretty much annually lead to violence.
2: So um, these traditional events on the Shabbat, and the Shabbat Chaye Sarah is when the biblical Abraham purchased Uh, the tomb of the patriarchs in Hebron uh, to bury his wife, uh, the biblical matriarch Sarah. So every year, uh, thousands of Jewish worshippers, I believe this year around 30 to 40,000 Jewish Israelis arrived in the city, which is uh, under joint Israeli-Palestinian control for this annual pilgrimage. And usually and often it, it results in clashes with Uh, Local Palestinians now specifically this year the clashes uh, began also on Friday nights There was some scuffles going on in some of the streets nothing um, You know not not as major as what we saw on Saturday, but uh, there were some clashes some reports of um, Israelis throwing stones at Palestinian homes and damaging cars the real uh, violent events came on Saturday afternoon when the army began escorting Uh, thousands of Israelis to uh, the tomb of Othniel. Uh, Othniel ben Kenaz is the first biblical judge, and his tomb is located in the H1 area of Hebron, uh, and that is an area which is controlled uh, by the Palestinians. So the army had to close off areas um, and streets which are usually controlled by the Palestinians, and the army uh, doesn't uh, usually work in those areas, but uh, they did. And then they escorted thousands of people through uh, the Palestinian side of the city, uh, to go to this uh, tomb. Now when you have thousands of thousands of people walking through, um, some people were beginning to antagonize uh, the locals, started throwing stones at storefronts and at and at Palestinians, and eventually it turned into a big clash when both sides were throwing stones at each other. Uh, during all of this, one female soldier was beaten by uh, an Israeli man, Uh, He hit her with a wooden stick, lightly injuring her. And then several suspects who were arrested by the army before they were handed over to police also uh, attacked soldiers. Now, uh, this came at the same time these clashes near the tomb occurred as other clashes were occurring in other areas of the city. And in one such clash, two Palestinians were hurt by stones uh, held by Israelis. And the army were there and they treated the two and then handed them over to the Palestinian Red Crescent for treatment. Now, all of these violent incidents, also the ones on Friday night, and attacking soldiers and attacking Palestinians were harshly condemned by Israel's political leadership, by Lapid, uh, by Defense Minister Gantz, by Army Chief Aviv Kohavi. Kohavi called uh, the attacking soldiers and Palestinians shameful and disgraceful uh, criminal behavior, is uh, what he said. So... Uh, from a personal experience, I mean, uh, I've been to Hebron before. I've I've seen some of these clashes, but uh, this year I think was particularly bad. I think probably because of the uh, just the amount of people that were there this year, and it was really quite a large number of people.
0: Now, in terms of coordination with the Palestinian Authority, as you said, this is a city that is uh, mixed in terms of its uh, settlement, but not in any way mixed in terms of in the same building, you would not have Palestinians and Israelis together. It's very, very uh, stratified and very segregated in many ways. What kind of coordination is there between the Israeli army and the Palestinian Authority
2: Right, so in Hebron, there is, there is definitely coordination between the two. There's, there was an agreement, um, that they signed to split the city, to split the control over the city. Uh, cause usually in the West Bank, um, there's either, you know, Israeli controlled cities or Palestinian controlled cities. One of the rare cases where they have to, uh, split the city based on certain streets where who controls who. But during this week, uh, definitely the Israeli army, uh, came in on top and, and just began to close off areas in, in, in streets, uh, you know, close off streets in areas which aren't usually controlled by the army, then there probably was some sort of coordination going on behind the scenes to enable this. But either way, it did result in, in, in just violence when you have thousands of, of, of Jewish Israelis walking through these Palestinian streets with the army escort and several people who, uh, you know, instigated clashes and violence with the locals.
0: So what you're describing is both violence instigated by the Jewish Israelis against Palestinians and against the Jewish Israeli soldiers or the predominantly Jewish Israeli soldiers. Is this uh, something that is unusual or in any kind of way, is this kind of more more amplified this weekend?
2: I would say it's been amplified over the past uh, year, maybe. Um, The past year, we've seen a lot of Tensions in the West Bank. The army launched a major uh, anti-terror offensive against um, mostly the northern West Bank after a series of Palestinian terror attacks killed uh, initially nineteen people, and then there were several more attacks. So, we're already at twenty nine people who have been killed uh, in in Palestinian terror attacks. So, there has been a lot of tensions, and amid those tensions. Uh, There has been a noted rise in in settler attacks against Palestinians in response and as well as against uh, security forces. We've seen several incidents of uh, the army trying to step in to stop um, settlers or Israelis attacking Palestinians and then they then turn on the soldiers and attack them as well. Uh, And those have also been condemned by by officials in Israel. Um, So it's kind of We've seen, we've seen it happen several times, in, definitely in recent months.
0: Okay, Mandy, thanks for that. We'll go to a short break now.
2: The world we live in isn't
1: perfect, but it doesn't get better on its own. That's where the work of activists comes in. Whether it's environmental justice, animal rights, or disability advocacy, there are people all around the world striving to make it a better place. That's where All About Change comes in. Host Jay Ruderman talks with activists about how they do what they do and what inspires them to keep going. Because activism is all about change. Listen to All About Change wherever you get your podcasts.
2: I got married this Monday in the middle of a war.
1: You are not a soldier anymore. You are 50 years old. What is the matter with you? It's like a couple of kilometers from here. Like My friend has a 4x4. Let's just go cut across the fields and go get him. Israel Stories, wartime diaries, voices that try to capture slivers of life right now. And he told me, take with you a sleeping bag and a tent and just go. I texted him on, like, after I was told that he was killed.
0: From their eyes, I was a traitor.
1: Everybody needs
0: their like blankie, their teddy bear, something to make them feel safe. I'm just another grandfather looking after his grandchild while his son is off at
1: war. These children of Hamas now will be the killer of my children.
0: I desperately wanted to talk about sex during my eulogy for Ido.
1: Everyone has to choose to be optimistic because we don't have room for pessimism. Check out Israel's Story wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And we are back. Now, on Thursday, Israeli authorities announced they would reinvestigate materials that were related to a deadly explosion at Israel's military headquarters in Tyre during the first Lebanon war in 1982. Now, this explosion had been widely believed to have been a suicide bombing, but it was officially attributed to a gas leak. What is different now? Do we have new information, Manny, that is uh, making officials think that it's actually, yes, a suicide bombing for sure?
2: So uh, I'll start by saying that, I mean, it's kind of a conspiracy, but most researchers believe that Israel knows it was a suicide bombing and knows it wasn't a gas leak and was slightly embarrassed to say it was a suicide bombing. But regardless, on uh, November 11th, 1982, uh this explosion occurred in uh, they call it the first uh, bombing because there was a second one exactly a year later uh, at, at the same IDF headquarters and it also killed a lot of people. But what's happening now is since so we recently marked forty years uh, since this explosion, and the families have um uh, for several years been pressuring uh, Israeli authorities to recognize them as as you know victims of an, of an attack um the the IDF the Shin Bet the police have all agreed to to establish a team to to re-examine the materials that they have now these materials reportedly include a report which detailed uh Hezbollah's preparations for the for this attack after the bombing the Shin Bet uh, according to a, a book by Ronen Bergman he said that the Shin Bet received a report or at least one officer received a report detailing the exact preparations Hezbollah made for the attack. And there are several eyewitnesses um, who detailed who, h- how uh, they saw a, a car crash into the building shortly before the explosion. And then there are, there's a military re- police report that basically found this car, or the engine at least of the car, under the rubble. So there, are, there is evidence to suggest that it was a suicide bombing attack. Hezbollah themselves have claimed uh, responsibility for it. They've identified the the attacker. I think three years after the bombing, they identified the attacker. Um, so there, there's, there's definitely an abundance of, of reported evidence uh, that this was an attack. But uh, officially, uh, Israel says it was a gas leak. So we'll see perhaps within a few months, the Israel's, you know, defense establishment will... Uh, finally, admit that it was uh, a suicide attack by Hezbollah.
0: Okay, thanks for that, Mandy. Amy, turning to you, I was privy to one of the first reads of your amazing piece on Zohar Argov and his legacy. And the question that is always sparked when you're talking about something like this is really: is the author dead? Meaning, can you evaluate the body of work without? putting into it the parson who committed really reprehensible acts. So you go into it, into your piece, but very briefly, tell us what is the parson versus the legacy when we're talking about Zohar Argov?
3: Yeah, so just a very brief summation for those who haven't read the piece is, um, you know, Zohar Argov is a sort of wildly famous Israeli artist who is considered the godfather of Mizrahi music in Israel, which is today just, you know, the predominant pop music that's heard uh, around the country. And he sort of broke into fame in 1982 and over the next five years um, produced a lot of hits while he was also in and out of prison and then in 1987 he took his own life in prison um and the reason that we're talking about this is that um actually first before he became very famous, he was uh, convicted of raping a woman and he was sentenced to a year or so in, in prison. And actually at the point of his death, he was accused of another charge um, of attempting to rape a woman while he was actually on furlough from prison for stealing a weapon from a police station. And then he was reinvestigated for this charge. And while he, that investigation was pending, he um, ended his life. And so, you know, it, it's it's been 35 years since since that, and he's still, you know, it's not just that his music is still so wildly famous, it's that he is still spoken about in such reverential tones. I think, you know, I think even, you know, just in general in the Israeli media and also some of the responses since I wrote the article um, or this idea of, yes, we should separate the art from the artist, and he's no longer alive, he can't receive royalties anymore. Um, And those are very valid. I just don't think that's necessarily the conversation here because I don't think it's just about... Can we listen to his music? Can we listen to his songs? I think it's about, is this a man who is worthy of having a stamp you know, made in his honor? Is this a man who is worthy of having streets named after him, of having concerts attributed to him, of being spoken about literally as the king? That was his nickname, and that's how most people in the music industry speak about him today. They say, the king, and they say it in reverential tones. So the idea of, okay, can we play his songs on the radio is one question, but the other idea of, you know, is this a man who we should be honoring in such a manner? Um, And yes, he's not alive anymore, but Elise Gabay, who is the woman who he allegedly attempted to rape shortly before his death, is still alive. And so she sees this, she sees everything that happens in the way that he's spoken about and people don't really talk about her
0: and it's not as if this is a one-off kind of occasion in the music industry we have uh, many stars who are under investigation all the time and including one who did basically a cover album of Zohar Argov tell us a little bit about this figure
3: Yeah, so you're referring to uh, Ayal Golan who if if Zohar Argov was you know the godfather of mizrahi music so Ayal Golan would be the prince um he's arguably the most popular musician in Israel today, Uh, hugely beloved, enormous hit songs. Um, And he has for close to a decade now been caught up in this um, sex abuse case, very complicated case, very messy case, where his father ended up going to prison on charges of prostitution for basically using his son's fame to lure in young women um, to have sex with a number of people, including Golan, Golan was not charged in that case, even though his father, who has since died of COVID, um, did go to prison. But then more recently, basically last year, the police agreed to reopen the case against Golan after new um, after new allegations and new accusations came in. And just last week, Golan actually sat face to face in a police station with two young women who accused him of basically luring them in and abusing their situation when they were minors and um, basically telling and or forcing them to uh, have sex with his friends, with his associates. And hes they say that they allege that he gave them drugs and basically made them do this. So it's unclear where that case will go, um, but it's it's complicated and the reason that i you know wanted to bring up Golan in the article is obviously they're not the same person they're not one is not responsible for the other's sins this is not because they're mizrahi this is not because they're mizrahi musicians but I. But first of all, several people that I spoke to in the course of this said, okay. But if you're going to talk about Zohar Agov, right? How can you not talk about Ayagolan? Because I think you know the the head of the uh, Association of Rape Crisis Centers in Israel said to me, you know, people will say to me, oh, but Ayagolan's never been convicted of anything, and she says, but Zohar Agov was. He was convicted of rape and sent to prison, and people still say. Oh, okay, but this, but that, it doesn't matter, he's dead, it's a long time ago. And I think it's more a question of, you know, there's no direct connection between these two, but it's more a question of how do we deal with this situation and how are we going to believe the victims and are we going to take such allegations and say, this is not a person who is worthy of being played on the radio, of being spoken about in such a way, of being revered as a musician or as without, Without flaws, without a criminal history and all of these things. Amy, you know, I fully respect your journalistic work. And
0: I have to say that whenever you approach me for a palate cleansing piece on reality TV, I can never say no. Right. And so please (laughs) just to end on a slightly less of a downer. Tell us very briefly about the Jewish uh, candidate on Love is Blind.
3: Yes, yeah, so Love is Blind is a very popular Netflix show um, now in its third season. The third season just went up on Netflix um, very recently. Uh, this is spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen it. That's on you. Um, but uh, there was um, a not-just-Jewish, but-Jewish-Israeli contestant on this season, Alexa Alfia, um, And she ended up finding love and finding a husband and marrying Bre- Brennan Lemieux. Um, and I think what touched a nerve with a lot of Jewish viewers was that she was very, um, you know, upfront and unapologetic about her about her Jewish uh, identity. And in the first episode, you see her sitting down, right? They don't see each other, so they're sitting, like, in these quote-unquote pods talking to each other. And you see her say, listen, like, if your family doesn't like me because I'm Jewish, like, that's just their problem. There's nothing I can do about it. This is who I am. I'm proud to be who I am. Um, And you did see a lot of Jewish traditions coming up throughout the season, um, you know, discussions with her family about it. And then the wedding had a lot of Jewish uh, elements to it. And so that is very rare on a show like this. I don't know if any major reality show, um, certainly in the U.S., Leaving Israel Out of It, has had, you know, a Jewish wedding and had sort of discussions like that. Um, And I think that was, you know, uh, I think a lot of Jews identify strongly with that. And we're happy to see something um, like that on the screen. Amy, thank you for helping us end the show on a high note. Manny, Amy, thanks for
0: joining me today. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this this out-of-this-world music.
1: You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts.
0: And on our mothership, Timesofisrael.com. Like what
1: you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. And be sure to check out our weekly feature, Times Will Tell, released every Friday. Until next time. Shalom.